The big question is this, how do we use the seven step blueprint to help you or people you influence become more physically healthy than 98% of the people you know and in your community? That's what today's episode is all about. Let's get stuck into it straight away. Today's episode of the new science of physical health. Hey everybody, welcome back to this episode of the Daily Drop. I'm here, we're doing 35 or 36. I didn't look at the number. Uh, this one is a this one is different than the last few episodes I've been doing over the past week or so with the Daily Drop. I'm sitting there going through some of the different professors that I've spent time with. And um, as I'm out here driving and we're, uh, I'm just here, got the phone in the cradle by myself, it came to mind that I wanted to touch on the core principle of the new science of physical health, and that is one of the frameworks that we have across everything we do in all our courses, any of the web classes that we do, any of the, there's a summit coming up later in the US Doctors Summit, and we have this core principle that I work with that it's a common theme amongst all of the PhDs that I've interviewed and the research that I've read of their work. And what I wanted to talk about today was touch on something that's actually not related to the number one and number two cause of sickness and death. If you've been listening to the show, you know it's cardiovascular disease with 18 million deaths a year and then cancer with 8.2 million deaths a year. And they are out in front by a long, long way. So the core principle is a framework and a diagram that I created called the Influencer Framework. And if you've received any of my material and any of the links in the show notes, um, so you, what you do is you go to the links in the show notes, click on those, and then you can, you'll get access to some of the materials. This diagram is in everything that I do. And the influencer framework has six things on a, I'll describe it to you, has six things on a screen, six images, six icons, if you like. One is, I think I get all these right off the top of my head. One is an icon of obesity. One is an icon of active heart fitness score. One is an icon of um, high cholesterol. One is high blood, uh, blood sugar. One is high blood pressure. And one is smoking. So those are the six different icons that are on the screen. Then there's a question underneath the heading. The influencer framework. And it's called the Influencer Framework for obvious reasons. And here's a question that goes on, on the Influencer Framework that I created. What do you think is the number one cause, sorry, what do you think is the number one contributor to the leading cause of sickness and death? Out of those six things, what do you think is the number one leading, I've got to say this properly, I always get this wrong when I say it off the top of my head, I pause for a moment there. What do you think is the leading contributor to the number one cause of sickness and death. We know it's cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of sickness and death by a country mile. That's an expression we have here in Australia, probably in your country too, for all those overseas listeners. And what do you think out of those six? Is it obesity? Is it active heart fitness score? Is it high blood glucose? That's getting a lot of airplay in the media. Is it high blood pressure? Is it uh, high blood cholesterol? Or is it smoking? One of those is the leading contributor to the number one cause of sickness and death. And it's medical research that's been peer-reviewed time and time and time and time again and validated across the globe, not, in one, not with one professor or one team of professors and not even in one country. Time and again, in all the different countries and medical research, 
that I have scoured over the last 10 years, one of those things has been proven to be the leading contributor. So without going into it too much detail here, you're going to now hear from a professor that I got to interview from Northwestern University in Boston, from Boston, USA. Professor Charles Hillman is a research psycholo- uh, psychologist, but he re- is the most amazing researcher I think I've ever come across. Because everything I've talked about so far in the answer to that question from the influencer framework, what is the leading contributor to the number one cause of sickness and death, is all related to cardiovascular disease and to cancer events. But here is the what I think is fascinating with Professor Charles Hillman that's completely down a different tangent, but it's utilizing the number one, the leading contributor to the number one influencer. So out of those six things, one thing is more important that you can control in your life than anything else, which we haven't got time to go into here in the show. But you'll hear about it because you're about to hear a little snippet from Professor Charles Hillman in the interview that I did. The interview was, what a delightful human being. He was in Boston, I was here in Australia, we did the interview over the phone, and the recording of our private conversation, I think it was about an hour and a half. He really is a fascinating man. But here's what Professor Hillman researches, and he's, he's I think, well, not think, he's the global leader in this particular area. He researches a medical biometric, one from the list I just gave you on my diagram called the Influencer Framework, and what he does with that particular biometric, which is the answer to the question, by the way, so you'll hear about it when you get to, when I transition to part of a, a snippet from my interview, what he does with it is he examines that medical biometric and then he correlates that with structural changes in the human brain. So he takes this medical biometric, which every human being in the world needs to hear about. Out of those six, there's one that's the biggest influence. Not only is it an influence in cardiovascular disease or the leading contributor, which we now know from all the medical research, the work of Professor Hillman is so cutting edge that he's now discovered it changes brain structure. It blew my mind. And the outcome of the changing of brain structure is it improves learning capabilities. And if, to put it in short, it has an impact on intelligence. So here is the coolest thing. You're about to hear a snippet, or maybe a couple of snippets, of my over one and a half hour interview with Professor Charles Hillman, which I think I'll make into a mini-series. Because by focusing in on the correct health biometric, which we go through in things like one of the other episodes, The Perfect Health Lesson. And there's plenty of other episodes I go through it on. But when you get a hold of my material, you'll now understand from this snippet that I'm about to give you, and I'm building it up because it's worthwhile to do that, you'll understand that it not only has an impact on driving down your risk, your clinical risk, of a cardiovascular event, which is provable from all the work we do with Professor Wisloff up in Norway and all of his research, and well, not the work we do, it's the work that he does and the interviews I've done with him and some of his team, but it is now also beyond that, Professor Hillman's work on the human brain 
in relate direct relation to this medical biometric proves it has an impact on improving your brain structure and you'll hear what he what we mean when you hear him in his own words i won't spoil it for you i think it's fascinating because you're going to get a side benefit of the core principle of the new science of physical health doesn't just drive down the risk of the number one cause of sickness and death cardiovascular disease and have an impact on the number two cause of sickness and death cancer events it impacts learning capabilities i think it's phenomenal so why don't i do this i'm going to say goodbye for now thanks for listening to this episode of the daily drop but don't hang up don't don't turn off the show i'm going to transition right now to professor charles hillman go and look him up northwestern university in boston you're about to hear him and meet him voice wise in his own words as he talks about the whole topic, I could have gone on for days talking to this guy because it, I just didn't know that this type of science was even being done. All right, everybody, thanks for joining me. Here's Professor Charles Hillman. Enjoy. See you tomorrow. Bye for now. What's the relationship of cardiovascular fitness to uh, cognitive and brain outcomes in kids? And um, in cases where we can, we also try and extend that to academic performance using a uh, standardized achievement test. Yeah. And generally what we find is that, uh, that both single bouts of exercise yeah. have, uh, you know, and uh, accruing cardiorespiratory fitness have beneficial relationships to brain and cognition. Uh, in the case of acute exercise, we find that the effects last for uh, approximately 45 minutes or an hour after the bout, after the cessation of the bout of exercise. Yep. So you get, you get an immediate benefit of performing uh, aerobic uh, physical activity uh, for a short duration. We've seen it in uh, for 20 minutes of walking at a at sort of 60 to 70 percent pace, which is not too difficult. Yeah. Um, and we, we get it. We've actually even seen it after nine minutes of high intensity interval training. Wow. So, you know, basically that's like four and a half minutes of, you know, full max exercise and four and a half minutes at a low dose. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> We, uh, when it comes to chronic physical activity participation, we, we have both cross-sectional and randomized control trial data that suggests that being more fit or accruing greater amounts of cardiovascular fitness over the course of nine months uh, has benefits to, to the brain and cognition as well. Yep. Um, now, when I talk about brain and cognition, we could talk about a couple of different outcomes here. Yes, uh, that's interesting. Like, like, when it comes to the brain, we can talk about brain structure. And so we see differences in, in both gray and white matter. Uh, you know, gray matter is your neurons and white matter is the, uh, the axons that are connecting, uh, you know, um, the neurons in the brain. And so you, you typically capture those by looking at uh, large, um, large uh, sort of uh, white matter tracks that connect different regions of the brain. For instance, like the corpus callosum is a very, very well-known one where we're yes. able to uh, look at... Um, you know, white matter tracks there, it connects the two hemispheres. Um, and so the idea is, is that, uh, you know, we're, you know, when it comes to structure, we're able to identify the structures in the brain that, uh, and kids demonstrate a more, um, I would say mature and healthy pattern of, uh, of growth. Right. And yeah. so oftentimes what we see is that, you know, certain regions of the brain, uh, will, grow in, in, in size and then uh, and then it'll reduce in size as maturation occurs, you know, through sort of a use it or lose it type principle. Yep. And uh, and we see that that in kids who are more fit they that their 
their pattern of growth is more similar to that of young adults, which we hold as kind of like the, the epitome of like, you know, sort of healthy, um, you know, kind of like healthy, the healthiest time of your life, I like guess, more mature and healthy and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, now, uh, brain function wise, we can look at a whole number of different ways. I mean, you know, traditionally we're looking at, you know, sort of this, uh, we can look at we traditionally start looking at through uh, event-related brain potentials. That's the neuroelectric system of the brain, yeah. uh, and the advantage there is that uh, we can uh, identify um, brain activation that occurs very quickly. So it's temporally very sophisticated. We can measure at the order of a millisecond, yeah. and through proper investigation, we can look at you know sort of discrete cognitive functions such as the allocation of potential resources or um, uh, cognitive processing speed, things of that nature. Um, so, using MRI, we can yeah. get more at, uh, at which regions of the brain are, are physically active. Um, yep. And so, sorry, which regions, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting confused myself. Which regions of the brain are showing, uh, brain, which are showing differences in activation as a function of physical activity? Right. And there, you know, we're talking about like, uh, you know, we can say, like, okay, the prefrontal cortex is showing greater activation or the, you know, the posterior parietal cortex based on the type of cognitive task that they're engaged in. Yeah. Um, but, but really recently what we've been doing is actually not looking at specific brain regions so much as looking at networks of regions. There's seven okay. major networks in the brain, yeah. or so we think, <clears throat> and we're able to look at how physical activity and greater amounts of cardiovascular fitness influence those major networks. And so we find that networks that underlie uh, aspects of cognition, such as executive control, like the frontal parietal network, yeah. uh, are benefited by being more fit or by accruing more amounts of fitness. We also see it for other regions that are other networks, such as like, um, uh, for instance, like the default mode network, which is what your brain is doing yeah. when uh, it's not engaged in the task. It's kind of like your mind wandering network, and we know that there's this has implications for for uh, for for instance for like memory and uh, and proper cognitive function. Um, and then we can also look at how these networks uh, compare and contrast against one another. And so, for instance, uh, you know, I mentioned the frontal parietal network, and I mentioned the default mode network. Yes. Well, the, the frontal parietal network is a network that would be actively engaged engaged when you're doing something, a difficult cognitive task, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's when you're engaging your executive function. But the default mode network or your mind-wandering network likely wouldn't be. And so you'd expect to see those two to be anti-correlated with one another. Yes. And so, so some of the stuff we're investigating now is whether or not more fit kids uh, or whether single bouts of exercise influence the anti-correlation between those networks, which would be a more adult-like, healthy representation of brain function. And so do you think so, that, do you think that the unfit okay. kids for example don't have uh, that like their parietal lobe is not as functioning as well is that what you're saying is that the idea? That is the idea. Um, you know I think a lot of this is is caught up in semantics yeah. in the sense that we always like to sort of talk about the high fit kids or the kids in a fitness intervention as being you know, our, our experimental group and we're comparing them to the low fit kids or the kids in the control group. But, but, but I actually don't agree with that. If, if you step back and think about it, there's been some pretty good theoretical position papers written on this topic. Yeah. Over the course of evolution, we've been fit. We've had to spend energy to get energy. You know, we didn't, 
we couldn't just sit on the couch and, and have pizza delivered to us, right? <laughs> we had to go out and farm the fields and hunt yeah. and gather and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so from, from, you know, our, the human genome developed to support a physically active lifestyle. Yeah. And so being physically active actually is the control. That's the baseline condition. Yeah. And it's only in the last couple of generations, and really the last, you know, 100 years or so, maybe 120 years now or so, they, um, it's sort of reversed. We've, you know, we've kind of been become victims of our own ingenuity. We've outsmarted mm. ourselves. You know, we, we, we've developed cars, we've developed elevators, we've, you know, we've developed these conveniences in our life that while they're terrific and they make our lives more comfortable, they've also taken physical activity away from our lives. Yeah. And so in that sense, this is a, you know, this, it's a very recent past that we've moved from being a very physically active uh, species to being a much less active species, and so if you if you extrapolate that back, you you know you'd almost consider that the control group or the low fit kids are the experimental group, yeah. and the high fit kids are your control group. And so uh, I say that because what it actually means is that when we talk about the data, we shouldn't talk about it in terms of like being high fit is better for you. What we actually need to talk about is that being low fit is actually you know not so good for you, right? Mm. And that I think leads back to your interpretation. <laughs> 